And one thing that's for certain, don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment. We have the best medicines. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. We have the greatest country in the world. We're going back. We're going back to work. We're going to be out front. And I know there's a risk, there's a danger, but that's okay. But don't let it dominate your lives. Get out there, be careful. We have the best medicines in the world, and they're all happened very shortly, and they're all getting approved, and the vaccines are coming. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Enemy of the Good podcast. I am your host, Tutsi, and with me is the captain. Hello. This will be our first full-length podcast here at Enemy of the Good. We break down topics, uh, whether it's news of the day or just something that we're interested in that we want to dive more into, doing some research and and getting things on on paper and that, you know, out of our heads. Today we're going to look at the responses so far to the president's diagnosis, hospitalization, and subsequent release from uh, COVID. And we're going to ask, you know, is how we report on COVID really the enemy of the good? Are, are we are we taking this and stretching it to an insane level? All right. Well, uh, so the president was diagnosed in case anyone missed it last weekend with COVID-19 and has since been released from the hospital. And the response to this has just been outrageous, right? I, I get it. There's a lot of people in the media that don't like the president. You may not like the president. You may love the president, but he's still the president of the United States. And the response has just been really disgusting. Yeah. I I can't, there's no other way to describe it. Right. I mean, Ken, what are your thoughts? I mean, you have, you have the leader of the free world, you know, diagnosed with COVID-19. It it was bound to happen. Uh, You know, other leaders in other countries were diagnosed earlier. Um, Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job here for keeping it away from, President Trump as long as possible. Um, But when you're as active, you know, campaigning and and doing what you have to do, then you're going to be exposed Um, just like pretty much anyone else in the world. Um, The the really part that gets me is the media's reaction, reaction to him actually surviving this deadly disease. Um, You know, it's kind of sad when the president recovers, you know, gets out the hospital and you can, you can tell that the media is mad that he didn't die. Yeah. It's just, uh, there's, there's some well-wishers out there and, you know, props to the Biden campaign for actually putting out a statement. Uh, but here's some other world leaders who have been diagnosed. You got Boris Johnson, Prince Charles, you've got the, uh, Juan Orlando, Hernandez, who's the president of Honduras, Javier Bolasaro in in uh, Brazil, you know, just a few things. But so far, and I think something like a dozen members of Congress have already been diagnosed. Yet these are all, you know, older individuals who are supposed to be in more danger from COVID that we've seen from the numbers. Yet so far, nobody's died. And I mean, to be fair, these are leaders of, of countries. They're going to have the best health care in their countries, they're going to have the most options available to them. But it's also, these are some of the most protected people in their countries, right? And look at President Trump. He's this huge germaphobe. The guy has hand sanitizer at every table, 
right? He, he practices social distancing. He doesn't. And I mean, there's a bubble around him, right? The Secret Service isn't going to let anybody close to him that hasn't been tested. You know, everybody coming in and out of that White House is going to be tested. So it just shows you that anybody can get it because it's a respiratory virus, right? So people are going to catch it. It's a, it's a flu, right? That's what flus are, they're respiratory viruses. So not saying that this is the flu, but it is a type of flu. It's not just the seasonal flu. Of course, it's, it's a little more serious and a little more deadly. But what does him getting at 74, he's in that age range. He's maybe a little heavier than a man should be at that age. But here he is coming out of the hospital with very few symptoms. And, you know, nothing, not like he's bedridden or unconscious or anything like that. It just. I mean, he never stopped working. I mean, that that's the key. So when he went into Walter Reed, he went into the, the presidential offices um, at Walter Reed. They have these, you know, rooms set aside just for, you know, the president to get his health care and do what he has to do. If something major goes on, um, you know, and he continued working the whole time. You know, I mean, yes, his work is sitting at a desk, you know, sending out emails, talking, you know, to people through Zoom or whatnot, whatever they used, you know, signing papers and, and, and everything. But he was able to keep working the whole time. And so, I mean, kudos to him. I mean, at, when I get sick with the with the flu or or just a just a cold, all I want to do is just lay down on the couch and, and, and do nothing. So, I mean, you know, kudos to him for actually still being active during the, during this time when you have you know, this, this respiratory disease. And, you know, I'm not trying to downplay COVID at all. I mean, it's a serious issue. People die from it. You know, there's people who have recovered and they're going to have long lasting, um, you know, effects from it, you know, scarring of the lungs and whatnot. I mean, so I'm not downplaying the virus at all by saying that it's not something we should fear and, and stop our lives for. Right. But if you and here's the thing, too, is the way he responded to it, I think, was the right the right thing. And and some people are criticizing. And of course, they have the right to criticize. But my question is, well, what was he supposed to say? We should fear with this virus. Stay in your homes. Uh, Don't try to get back to normal because this is the deadliest disease ever to ever, ever in the United States. No, he's saying don't be, don't let fear rule your life, which, by the way, if you ever listen to a motivational speaker, every motivational speaker who's ever spoke at any event ever in the history of ever, every president who's tried to motivate the American people have all said, don't let fear rule your life. Right. If we're afraid to go outside, if we're if we're constantly thinking about all this then we're not, we're letting it win. You know, this virus is as much a political virus as it is an actual medical situation, right? We have, we have 50 states with 50 different responses, with 50 different levels of lockdown and mask requirements and uh, occupancy requirements of buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Yet you have states like New York that locked down hard in California, that locked down hard, that require masks. Gavin Newsom just sent out a tweet 
uh, from on the third saying going out, don't forget to keep your mask on between bites. Right. So this is the governor of our most populous state in the country, California. And he's telling you to put a mask on between bites. Yet you have Ron DeSantis in Florida who had a lighter lockdown, has the oldest, has the largest concentration of retirees in the United States. Well, that's where people go to retire. Yeah. And, and here he is, one of the lowest death rates in the United States. So while New York has a death rate so high that if you take it out of the America and you take it out of the, the U.S.'s equation, you lower the death rate by almost 100 per million. This goes from like 440, 450 down to like 350 or so. And I think it's New York and New Jersey if you take those two combined. Um, and it lowers it by almost 100 from the 400s to the 300s. So that's very – it shows you that – it makes you ask, what are our mitigation efforts actually doing? And – you know, like the president was able to work. The president, why aren't we able to work too? You know, we live in New Orleans where we have a very strict lockdown uh, from our mayor. She has uh, Latoya Cantrell. She has kept New Orleans a full, you know, in Louisiana, we have three phases, right? There was phase one reopening, phase two, and then phase three where you're at like 75% capacity and, and other things. But she has kept us a phase behind at every stage of this virus. And New Orleans is a tourism city. Right? People come here from all over the world. And when this virus hit the United States, we had just had our Mardi Gras. And the first confirmed case in the United States, I remember looking this up, was the day after Mardi Gras. So you just had Mardi Gras, Right. Millions upon millions of people coming into the city from all over the world, right, to experience what's one of the most fun events you can ever go to is, is one of the big, big super crew, uh, you know, days, Mardi Gras parades, right? It's a family event. You can just bring everybody and have a great time. So you have all that. And then we have our, our um, Fest Fest is what I call it where we have festivals pretty much every weekend all the way through the summer and into the fall. Yet all of that's canceled. Which, you know, shutting down at the beginning made sense because we didn't know anything about the virus. Look, it was it was a good response. Um, you know, I it mean, was a responsible. First, it was the, responsible. The first the first actual response to the to the coronavirus coming to the United States uh, was was, I believe, at the end of January when President Trump actually tried to st stop, uh, you know, travel from China um, to the United States to and I think Italy too to stop it from getting here, you know, and as soon as he did that, first thing he gets is, oh, well, you're a racist, you're a xenophobe, you're, you know, you, you hate people of different color. So, so that's why you're trying to stop this. And, you know, there, there was certain members of, of Congress with, with a D behind their name that refused to, to do what was needed to help the country. So therefore, we, our borders remained open. You know, travel from these countries still happened. And, you know, now they're trying to say, well, if you would have done something about this sooner, President Trump, you wouldn't have caught the coronavirus yourself.
I think the biggest thing is so the WHO and the Chinese government lied about this virus. Like the Chinese government lied about this virus, and the WHO gladly per- perpetuated those lies. And on January 30th, right, this virus started in China in November. So they lied about it from November through the end of January. And on January 30th is the first time the WHO said this is a pandemic and it's going to spread and be dangerous. So countries should take steps. January 31st, the president implements a travel ban. Then he assembles, he's, you know, beginning of February, he assembles a coronavirus team led by Mike Pence. Similar to what President Obama did for the H1N1 virus. And he, the person leading that task force was Joe Biden. So you have this, this, con, this perfect compare and contrast. You know, if, that, if the virus is, your, is one of the things that you're basing your vote on in a month, then okay, you, ha- you can clearly see what the Obama administration did, and then you can clearly see what the Trump administration did. And uh, I think it was Biden's chief of staff who came out and said their handling of H1N1 was bungled and it was terrible because 63 million Americans got it. Now, coronavirus, we supposedly have 35, 36 million global cases. We know that number is bullshit because – God knows how many are from China is lying about. You have third world countries where they don't have anything close to an organized CDC and, you know, constant testing and database communication and, you know, weekly reports that are compiled by all these hospitals that are compiled by states that are sent to the federal government. You know, they don't have these uh, these levels of, of bureaucracy that can track things as well. So we know that 33, 35 million global case number is probably a lot higher, but we're talking about that versus 63 million in H1N1. Now, H1N1 is a less deadly virus, but it was actually more deadly to young people. And you you have something like under 100 people under the age of 18 have died somewhere around there. And with H1N1, you had 13 times that. What's funny is that, you know, H1N1 and, and the Spanish flu are all bases from the same line. You know, they're all a, a type of coronavirus. You know, it, it's all it's all based from the same virus that causes these. They have different reactions. They have different treatments, you know, whatnot. So, I mean, it, it's this plague comes around ever so often, you know, and it it usually comes out of China. So. You know, well, this isn't the first one that has come from China that originated in this wet market. They've had other viruses that have come out of Chinese wet market. And to be fair, if you go watch videos of what goes on in these wet markets, you understand why. People eating live animals like right there. There's all these there's all these animals confined together, you know, in a small space. So God knows what goes on there, but it's the kind of place I probably wouldn't visit. I mean, you know, when in when in China, you know? when in China, <laughs> nothing like biting the head off a live lizard and eating that right in front of people. You know, I mean, we're kind of getting off track, but I mean, the, the the main the main thing I wanted to talk about today was you know the the media's response to to Trump actually surviving this. Yeah. Um, you know, there's reports. You know, everyone talking about what what he said when he left. Um, 
you know, when he got out the hospital, his speech, you know, you, you don't fear it. Don't let it run your life. You know, it basically goes back to the same thing. Um, FDR said, you know, during his first inauguration, trying to get out of the um, the depression, you know, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. You know, it's kind of the same words, just said a different way. And, and people are taking it like, well, you know, there he is again. He's downplaying his virus. He's saying it's not as serious as it is. And he he's trying to, you know, make his followers, because that's what they call people who support President Trump. They call him a follower. Um, you know, he's trying to make his followers get mad and hate everybody else who who wants to to protect everyone from these viruses. And you know what? Hey, if you are scared and you want to stay home, Please do. I mean, I, I, go yeah, for it. If you're sick, I don't go you. out. If you want to stay home, great. If if I want to choose to go to a restaurant, I know what's out there. I know COVID exists. Which, which I have been going to restaurants. I've been taking my wife and kids out. We go eat out once a week, you know, sometimes once every two weeks. Uh, we go to the restaurants. We, we follow the little farcical you know, thing of putting a mask on as we walk in. And then as soon as we sit down at the table, the mask come off, you know, sitting around, looking around the restaurant with everybody with a mask off sitting at the table. You know, I mean, it, it's a show, honestly. I mean, that's all we do is just, it's, it's a show. You walk into the restaurant with a mask on so you can walk to your table and take it off. And then your mask is off for the 90 minutes you're in the restaurant and it never comes back on until you leave the restaurant and even then, I just walk out of the restaurant without a mask because, I, I I mean, I've been there for what? And I'm going right to my car. I mean, what are they going to do? Tell you to leave? I'm already on my way out. Right. <laughs> I think it's hilarious because so my grandma, when my grandma passed away, we had a little uh, dinner after the funeral with some of the members of the family. And we we go into the restaurant and all of my family are just like, are we really putting it out? So we put the mask on. We walk in. We go to the table and there's eight of us. Right. This is just. This is just some of the uh, the grandkids. So it's me and a few, my brother and a few of the cousins. And we sit down. Masks come off. We get the drinks. We get the appetizers. We get the chips and salsa. And then we order food. And nobody put a mask back on until we left the restaurant. And everybody in the restaurant that was, you know, all the customers, no masks. So... Here we are in a confined, in a enclosed space. Now, granted, it's a restaurant. It's kind of big, you know, high ceilings, all that good stuff. I mean, what's the point? You're, you're not being masked for what? 99% of your visit? So how effective is that really? How often do you really wear it? And the same thing, like the NFL. We were talking about this on the Fifth Down podcast we did early in the week. These coaches... And these sideline, everybody but the players is required to wear uh, face masks at, at the NFL. So the players who are unprotected because they're out there. I mean, can you imagine if the NFL required them to wear face uh, face mask under their helmets? That would just be. Well, I mean, you'd have players swapping out after every play. Because, I mean, it would just fall right off. It, it's hard. To, it's hard to. I mean, but anyway, the, the it's hard month, to breathe through those things. Yeah, it, it, it is. It makes the breathing a little more difficult, and especially when you're gasping, you know, like if you're just at 110 percent every play. 
You know, right. I, I have to wear one for work. I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, when, when the people talk about it, when you're like, man, this thing's hard to breathe. And they're like, oh, well, doctors and nurses do it for 12 hour surgeries. Yes, but they're not physically exerting themselves for the most part. You know, they're, I mean, they're they're in and on their mind and they're doing their thing, but they're not being physical. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a little easier for them to make it through that 12 hour surgery than it is for me to work eight hours a day lifting up, th- you know, lifting things and moving around all day long. So right. and then, you know, going back to the response to, to the covid, right, it all has to, it all connected there. Everyone's perception on masks, like somehow mask has become the symbol of coronavirus. Like, right. If you're not wearing your mask, uh, you're you're on the opposite side of whatever. Like the mask is the uh, the jersey. You know, if you're. If you're pro mat, it's like masks versus no masks on a football field, right? Right. So here's the here's some responses from the media. Chris Hayes, MSNBC host, generally represents the the political left in this country. He says Trump is objectively pro COVID. Yet here he is, also calling is calling for some kind of truth and reconciliation commission to deal with things people have said about coronavirus. This is thought police. So he's saying, on one hand, Trump is pro-COVID because the president decides to say, hey, don't let fear rule your life. And then here he is on the other hand saying, hey, we need a commission to investigate and charge and imprison people and fine people who, because that's what a commission does. Right. You're not calling for a governmental commission just to chastise people. No, you're calling for that to punish people. I mean, who in their right mind would actually believe that the president is pro COVID? Uh, stop. Stop with the right mind. qualifier. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm just, just just think about how stupid that is to even say something like that. Yeah, I'm pro everyone getting sick and dying. No, I mean, that that's impossible. No one is that. I mean, Hitler was that sick, but I mean. Well, Hitler was, I'll get everyone sick and kill them. That was a totally different. I mean, that's just, it's just such a stupid statement to come from a mainstream media source. I mean, this is what people listen to for their news. And this is the, this is the information they're getting. And this is why, you know, the hate for the president is so high because they they listen to these 24 hours news networks who have to fill 24 hours worth a day worth of news. And people are locked in their homes you know, in so they, some places. They watch, the, they watch this news and they hear that and they're like, you know what? You're right. Trump is pro-COVID. I mean, that's such a stupid uh, stupid and ignorant statement to say something like that. Well, Chris has to get the uh, views and clicks for his website. So that's another thing. Uh, Joy Reid. Here we go. This is my favorite. Here's how wrecked Trump's – this is a quote from her Twitter. Here's how wrecked Trump's credibility is at this point. I've gotten a cell phone full of texts from people who aren't sure whether to believe Trump actually has COVID. He lies so much, one friend just texted. Is he just doing this to get out of the debates? Others are texting. Okay, first of all, Trump really want the debates are – Trump wants them. The left doesn't. But here's Joy Reid. Sure, she's masking it. I've got texts from people saying this, but you posted this. Somewhere in your head, you think that that's that's it. Is he lying? You know what? And I'm going to be fair. It is possible the president is lying about this. 
But I don't personally believe that. I think that the, he actually was diagnosed with it. Right. Hey, I, I have a, a phone full of texts that, that say things, too. Well, I had a phone full of text. Not really. But I question and this is this is just there's people out there and I'm not I'm not saying this is the case, but is it possible that someone purposely infected people in the White House? So they would have a some sort of. Because, I mean, the president coming down with coronavirus when he's pro open everything up. Is very convenient. It's it's very convenient. And it fits perfectly with the Democrat narrative going into the election of we need to be locked down. We need to keep people safe. We need to keep the economies shut down. So, you know, there's 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 the politics of coincidence, of course, you know, where you just take advantage of of a fortuitous thing to your political narrative happening, which is, I think, what this is. But at the same time, this is a party who took women that were outright lying and at best had faulty memories and accused a Supreme Court justice or a, you know, a judge at the time, Brett Kavanaugh, of being the leader of a rape gang that terrorized women throughout the East Coast and almost ruined his life. So I would not put – and I mean, come on. We can always joke about the Clinton body count. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Right. So we, know, we all know, know So, so these, power, <laughs> these are powerful people who are willing to do very terrible things out in the open in some cases. I mean, look at what they did to Kavanaugh. Look at Epstein being murdered in jail. Fight me if you think that's not true. And they're perfectly capable of infecting people with coronavirus. I do not put that possibility out of the realm of what they would do. Well, I mean, they they may have. They may, you know, they they probably didn't. Let, let's just yeah, state no, they, that. Yeah, let's they probably not, didn't. But let's I'm not saying spread this this rumor. I am here. saying that I believe that more than President Trump is lying about his diagnosis. But I mean, it goes down to show you, though, I mean, they're they're using this to their advantage. The fact that President Trump was was infected because uh, his close inner circle, you know, a lot of people who work closely with him are, are now coming down um, and infected also. So that, that should really make them believe that their narrative of, oh, the president's faking it is is completely, you know, a farce. You know, if he's obviously had it because the people that's closest to him and work with him on a daily basis. Now they're coming down to it. But, you know, there are saying, well, I mean, there must not be work wearing masks and doing this. And and the truth of the matter is they are wearing masks in the uh, White House. You know, it, it's part of what they do. They, they when they're in a gro- cl- close grouping together, they wear the mask and these people still got sick. So, yeah. you know, I think it just goes along to the fact of what, you know, the president's saying, yes, he does wear the mask, but he also says that he believes that the mask is not not working. Well, I mean, it's definitely not a wear a mask, don't get sick, right? And and, and that's kind of the, the perception around the masks right now. And that's the debate is how effective are they? I, I don't think the masks we wear are effective. No. I'm and sorry, especially people wearing, I mean, it's basically. The, the mask you wear that says Gucci and, and, the, and the ones that are worn with the, the Saints football helmets and 
you know, Mickey Mouse on them. Um, yeah, those, those are cloth masks that, that, that have no medical that, protection you know, whatsoever. They made out of a, a leftover pillowcase. Or a scarf. You know, that's not an effective mask. The, the only true one for this virus would be the N95. And that, that's what they wear in the hospitals as part of their PPE. Um, and then even that is designed more to prevent... That that is more more designed to prevent and heavier particulates like blood and things like that. I, I think the common misconception with the mask is that it, it doesn't stop the virus from coming into you. It stops you from um, giving the virus. Right, because it, it at least blocks some of the exhaled when you exhale the um, the moisture. I mean, that's why they wear them in a surgery suite because it, it stops you know spit and whatnot coming out of the doctor into the patient. Yeah. It doesn't stop what's coming from the patient to get into the right. I doctor. mean, it may offer some protection if there's a little blood splatter, things like that. But I mean, that's what they have those pull down face coverings like some of the NFL coaches are wearing. Andy Reid looking, looking at you, Andy Reid. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I love what you pointed out the first time we saw that. That <laughs> It looks like Cobra Commander from the old G.I. Joe cartoon. It's so good. You know, the, the only accurate um article i've seen came from a satire site and it you know it says the, the media is criticizing trump for downplaying virus threat by not dying you know that came from the babylon b well i mean you get and, you get the feeling that some of these people you know, would not sh- would be saying the same things if the president was in critical condition right i it doesn't matter some of these people just hate the president that much like here's Here's Zahra Rahim, who is a White House staffer and Hillary Clinton's national spokeswoman from 2016. It's been against my moral identity to tweet this for the past four years, but I hope he dies. Okay, this isn't just some rando. This is someone who's been a spokesperson for a presidential candidate. And I saw this tweet. It's from Piers Morgan, who... I disagree with on a lot of things, but at least he is more intellectually honest than most of the, the left. And I mean, you see some of these some of these reactions. Like my other favorite reaction was from Jennifer Rubin, a right? big lefty. Supposedly, she's like folk, and she says she's a conservative, but she's really a leftist, and she was all up in arms about the president when he went out of Walter Reed and did a quick drive-by to wave at all the people that had gathered to support him and, and you know, to to say that they're with him, which is awesome. You know, it's like a flash mob. He goes out of Walter Reed and he's driving around and she's losing her mind like, oh, he's exposing people to COVID. He's, a, he's, he's intentionally spreading a deadly disease. And everyone's like, oh, you're – and I'm like, no, because here he is. He's in a vehicle. He's in a presidential vehicle, which it's one of the most protected, sealed vehicles humankind has ever produced, right? The things the president moves around in are are the most – are the toughest vehicles we've ever made as a species. And some of the most sealed too because they have to prevent – uh, gas attacks and things like that from also getting to the president. So he's wearing a mask. Everybody in the car is wearing a mask. 
Yet here's people losing their minds. So the question is, are you saying that masks and social distancing and hermetically sealed, highly protected vehicles don't work to stop the spread? Because that was my take from it. You know, yeah, she's, she's going to say that because of who she is politically and where she's at. But you also are ignoring the fact that he's following every protocol here, yet you're still saying it. So which is it? You, know, you can't you can't have both, but I think people just don't. No, not everyone's paying attention to that because you know you and I we pay a little more attention to the media than most of our friends. Well, uh, I mean, the media is just unfortunately they control so much of this country. Um, you know, we have uh, Maureen Dowd from the New York Times saying that uh, when Trump walked through the doors, uh, Walter Reed had a stellar reputation. As he walks out seventy two hours later, his reputation is in tatters. There's nothing Trump can't do. There's nothing there's nothing Trump can't ruin. So, I mean, you're telling me that someone sick with Corona walks into your hospital, uh, receives treatment and then in 72 hours is released. That means you're a bad medical facility. I kind of thought that's what you were there for was to uh, heal and, and make people better to me. <laughs> hell, I'd rather go to Walter Reed, right? Yeah. And get the president's doctors to work on me. I mean, it's just. But I mean, sad. even even some of these politicians who got it early on, like I think there was a Maryland uh, state representative or or something. I apologize for it, but she got COVID uh, early on, and she took hydrochloroquine and got better. Right? She had the hydrochloroquine zinc treatment. Hey, hey, you stop that! Oh, you don't don't say anything about hydrochloroquine and zinc. Well, that's, well I mean, you know, real doctors. Treatment. Here's the thing about hydrochloroquine: real doctors have used it to treat real patients. And people have gotten better. So it's a drug that has a chance of working, right? It's it's one of the few drugs that we actually do have that have been shown to treat it in patients. So to ignore it or to downplay it or to demonize it is very irresponsible. And if it's Team Mask that's – or, you know – whoever that's saying, oh, hydrochloroquine doesn't work. Well, and and going back to Team Mask, let's take a look at Nancy Pelosi going to a hair salon, living like a queen while the, while the salon owner um, basically faces bankruptcy. Here she is going into the salon, no mask. She's in a very dangerous age category as well. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just... <laughs> I'm sorry, I drew a blank. It's, no, it's just, I, I, I am, I am kind of burnt, I'm some burned of out things. on all this too because you know, it, it's, here's the contradictions flying all over the place. And you know, the, the reason the reason hydrochloroquine isn't being used, let, let's just be completely honest right here, is it, something I've always said. It's it's follow the money. You know, you look at the people who are downplaying it. They probably own stocks in other pharmaceutical companies or they're part of that pharmaceutical company's board or they are being paid for by someone who's part of that pharmaceutical company. And I mean, they the pharmaceutical can't make money lobby off of hydrochloroquine. Yeah, the pharmaceutical lobby is a thing too, and I think you're right because hydrochloroquine is a dollar under a dollar a dose. You know, they they can't make money off of it, so therefore it cannot possibly be a cure for coronavirus. Not, not a cure. I'm sorry, a treatment. You know, and honestly, the best treatments from what they're learning on is just being outside, receiving vitamin D from the sun. You know, that's why we go outside. Um, that's also why it affected um, mostly African-Americans harder than it did um, Caucasians is because they have a harder time receiving the vitamin D from the sun because of the pigment in their skin. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So I mean, so it, melanin reduces the amount of vitamin D that you can sun get in from the get, sun. So right? yeah. So they should I mean, be the take, sun, the sun burns your fat. Honestly, what they should be saying on the news is, hey, it, go outside, exercise, do your thing. If you're not going to do that, take some supplements that that are heavy in vitamin D. You know, take some zinc zinc tablets because that'll help you because that that's it helps you fight off viruses throughout your entire life. That but has instead of you know, that. I'm hearing more of wear your mask, you murderer, than, hey, here's some other helpful things you can be doing to keep yourself and your loved ones safe. You know, they, they tried so hard when, the, when, when it first hit to shut down gyms and close it out. Well, gyms are spreaders of, of disease and they're unclean. Sorry, I, I completely disagree. I, I started going to the gym uh, a little over a year ago, you know, on a daily basis, and I, I haven't been sick you know, I haven't had a major sickness in that time frame from anything that I caught from the gym. Well, we're also from that coon ass DNA, which. Uh, well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm saying on a year <laughs> on a yearly basis, I would I would get like a bad sinus infection or, you know, a cold or something like that. But now that I'm actually exerting myself and working out, you know, three, four times a week, you know, I, I feel that that's improved my immune system. You know, that that's that's proven in life that exercising helps you survive longer, you know, for the most part. So, I mean, shutting the gyms down and keeping people out of there, not getting exercise, not going outside by being shut down, telling you to be scared, to stay in your house, to wear your mask and not do your thing. So people stay inside and watch their news networks over and over again all day long. Um, I think that's what's really keeping this virus going as long as it, as long as it is. If they were just, open up and, and stop using this fear tactic to, to keep people locked in and, and actually allow people to go about their regular lives. Because if you talk to most people, they're ready to go back to work. They want to go back to work, you know, because that's their livelihood. That's how we survive. That's how we do things. Um, so they're ready to do that. But here we are with the government telling us we can't or you can't. Right. We have to have permission now to exercise our liberties. And that's not how – and this was my saying at the beginning of COVID. If it's dangerous enough that we need to have a lockdown, then you need to call for martial law implementation, which is what would give the government the power to justify a lockdown because something is going on that's so dangerous you know, you you need to you need to limit people's liberty. I would have been okay with that, but here we have this soft uh, martial law. I guess is the best way to describe it, because you have these governors and mayors; they're changing what they do and what they say, and I, I, you can't help but see the politics in it, right? Well, yeah, because it's heavily Democratic run states and cities that are keeping their people locked up and locked in. Um, you know, they have the heaviest fines and, and whatnot for um, people who don't adhere to their mass policies. You know, if businesses actually open up and they don't follow their law to the T of you can only have 25 people in your building, you know, then they, they shut that business down again. Um, and, and that's where the, hev the more heavily uh, infected are is in these cities. You know, uh, meanwhile, you have Republican governors 
on on less of a lockdown, opening up their states a lot faster. Uh, Mississippi just dropped their mask ban. Uh, you know, they don't they don't they you don't have to wear a mask in Mississippi now. Um, you know, like we said, Florida had a light lockdown. Uh, Disney World's been open already now for about four months. Um, it hasn't been the hotbed of of COVID as they said it would be. Meanwhile, in California, you still have Disneyland who shut down. And as we said on our little our little quick hit, you know, that led to 30,000 people receiving a pink slip from Disney because they can't open the park. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, and, you know, getting getting into like here's a Ron DeSantis in Florida just cleared the Hard Rock Stadium for full 65,000 attendance. So. We'll see what happens, right? Um, Probably nothing. I mean, let's just be, you know, some people might get sick, but that can happen anywhere. That can happen at any point in time. I mean, when the flu's coming around again. So are we even going to have a flu this year or is anybody who gets it is just going to automatically be considered to be Corona? That's a good question. Well, we won't know that until probably next year when all the data has finally settled down. I mean, if you look at if you look at the stats and whatnot, um, you know, people aren't dying from anything but Corona right now. You know, if you if you test positive, that's what you have. You know, well, you that's know the what question is, from. too, like we people are putting off other treatments. They're putting off cancer screenings. They're putting off uh, minor surgeries, things like that, because the hospitals were on lockdown. Yeah, because I mean, they, or they were prepped for some sort of massive influx from covid patients. And there, there are nurses and doctors who are being laid off from hospitals and hospital groups because the beds aren't full in most of the country. Sure, there's a couple of hotspots where they still have, you know, higher occupancy. But, you know, again, you have to look at it and say, OK, well, how does this compare to last year? And, and I mean, it's undeniable that people are indeed getting laid off from medical facilities because they didn't have it. I think uh, Chicago had a $63 million on this temporary medical hospital thing to deal with coronavirus patients. I think like three or four people had used it totally. So we, in a lot of cases, we may have overestimated, which is the safe, I guess, the safe thing to do. But here we are months later and do we still need to keep doing that? Do we still need the response we had in May when we used uh, in March when we knew little to nothing about this virus? Is it responsible to still have that same response now when we know that it is a we have more accurate information on just how infectious and just how deadly it is versus the initial report, which came from uh, the Imperial College that said 20 million people are going to die even if you do a lockdown, and I think it was like 2 million people in the U.S. will die, even with all the preventative measures, masks, social distancing, lockdowns, sanitize everything. And, you know, people give the president a knock for trying to not panic America. It was like, oh, we can handle the truth. No, we can't. I couldn't find toilet paper for two months. Toilet paper. I couldn't wipe my ass for two months. Oh, that's a lie. You just use your sheets. Well, I have old ones, thankfully. I have a lot less socks now because I couldn't find toilet paper. But that's my point is people panic 
over things they shouldn't panic because that's just human nature, right? Some people are just going to panic. And it's like, oh, the toilet paper is being sold out. Well, I should go get some more toilet paper. I won't be able to have any. And thus it perpetuates, right? So that's just toilet paper. And then, of course, sanitizer was was out everywhere. People were making their own home sanitizer. I couldn't find hydrogen peroxide, which is something I've always seen an excess of in every store you go to because people don't use it as much as we used to. It's one of the best disinfectants out there, right, besides rubbing alcohol. We, we panicked over that. So for the president to be more metered in, his, in response, that's a responsible thing to do for a president is not cause – Excess panic because, I mean, toilet paper, folks, toilet paper, toilet paper. To you, Captain, I can't. I just can't. Honestly, we we just need to go about living our lives. Uh, do exactly as the president has said. You know, you can't let fear run your life. So we need to get back to being normal. Um, you know, they're going to use this against him and Pence tonight in the uh, the vice president presidential debate um you know they're gonna they're, they're definitely gonna use the fact that he you know got corona so they're they're gonna use that against pence tonight um every which way i, I think I'm they not, were trying to basically put these two in uh like you know those uh those money booth boxes where they yeah, used to put you the in plexiglass bubble yeah, the plexiglass, i think is what they're yeah, gonna yeah. end up in um they're just like both in these plexiglass tubes I mean, whatever makes him feel safe, if that if that's what it takes to get this debate on, because I think Pence, Pence, who's a great debater, by the way, is going to. I hope he see this is the difference between this debate, as I think Pence is going to have a lot more hard data ready to go. You know, like we on this date, we did this on this date. We did this. We got 60,000 respirators. We got Ford to stop making automobiles and produce 30,000 respirators. We And I'm just putting numbers. I, I don't know these numbers are fat, but this is how Pence should be prepared. And I hope he is. We'll see. Well, I mean, like I said, he's a great he, he's a better debater um, than, than Harris. We, we've seen that through the first round of presidential candidate debates. Um I mean, Trump's that off off the cuff kind of guy. You know, he, he's not going to go up there with notes and he, he's going to say whatever's on his mind. If it's right or if it's wrong, he's still going to stick stick by it and say it um, for the most part. What he says has um, has the truth in it somewhere. Um, it's where the media is going to tell you the lie is at. Um, and actually, off this last presidential debate, uh, they proved that Biden lied way more than Trump did on this debate. Um, you know, what a lot more. And Biden started the interruptions. You know, I mean, one of my favorite commentators, had uh, tip Mark Levin, he actually counted all the Biden interruptions and he played Biden's clips from Biden interrupting and being rude and disrespectful and rolling his eyes and scoffing in the 2012 vice presidential debate with Paul Ryan. So the way Biden behaved in the presidential debate was the same way he did in the vice presidential debate in 2012. And when Biden did say things that have been proven to be false, Wallace let it slide and Trump was like, no, dude, you're not lying. So it, it's 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 Trump. He punches back. He doesn't let people walk over and he doesn't let people lie about him. The format or not, I wouldn't. You, you're damn right. If somebody said a lie about me on national television with 80 million people watching, you're damn right I'm going to call him out. 
I'm not going to let you sit here and lie and slander about me and my record. Screw you. Well, I mean, we, we know this debate was two, two, two against one, um, you know, the, the presidential debate. Hopefully, hopefully tonight will be a little more even, uh, a little more um, docile, you know, maybe not not the arguing back and forth. An actual debate can be held, possibly. Um, but in, in the truth of the matter is no one really cares about the vice presidential debate because if everything goes right, these people should never be in power, you know. Unless that's your plan from the get-go, i.e. the Democratic Party. I I just don't know what – I'm going to watch it, right? But I'm going to – I'm expecting not – I don't want to say much different, but what are we going to actually learn about what the Democrat Party plans to do when Joe Biden wins the presidency, if Joe Biden wins the presidency. Well, I think they would like to learn that, too, because, I mean, they, everything but, I can tell is they have no plan. Well, they have a plan. It's sitting over here on the on, on my desk. It's a 110 page. Uh, basically, this is their gov. This is what they're going to do. You know, the uh, Biden Sanders Unity Task Force plan is what it's called. So you can look it up for yourself. It's 110 pages. I'm starting to read through it and, you know, it reads like a campaign speech for the introduction when you get to the policy proposals. And I'm going to do some more writing on this myself where I actually go down and I'm going to dig into these things and and try to figure out how we're going to implement it, how much it will cost, you know, like uh, the Green New Deal stuff that's in there, which Biden said didn't exist in there, which was an outright lie. The Green New Deal stuff is in his unity plan. Well, I mean, it all comes down to it. I mean, he's even already stated that when he wins, he's going to stop oil production. Yeah, he's going to stop uh, fracking and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, we still need oil and gas. I I don't think. Where is that going to come from, Mr. President? I don't think people understand what oil actually does for this this country. It's not just a fuel you know, we don't just use it to make fuel for the vehicles. Do you have anything that's plastic in your house? Congratulations. You, you need know, oil. Your your TV, your your bicycle, your the tires on your car, the 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 couch you lay on. The house you live in was built using uh diesel generators and diesel. These buildings are built using cranes and everything, giant machines powered by diesel. Everything has a petroleum base to it when it when it comes down to it. Because I mean it's it's carbon. You know, that, that's the basic that's the major building block and everything that we have is carbon. Um, so, I mean, to, to, to just cut that out and say, oh, we're going to go this route. And we're You know, we're going to shut down the economy of Louisiana because, hell, that's what we have. That That's our major, major economy is is the oil field. Well, you and I both work in the oil field. So you're, you're going to kill it and you're going to put more people out of jobs. So how do you plan on doing that? You're going to let them go build the. The windmills, which have been found to be ineffective, you know, you're going to go put up solar farms that when the sun reflects off of them, it ignites birds in flight. I mean, you know, if you if you ever get a chance to go look up the uh, a fracking site, go look up what a, what a um, what a fracking site looks like and then go look up a lithium mine. So if you, if you ever have the chance to do that, go look it up and tell me which one you think is worse for the environment. You know, I mean, they, they talk about carbon emissions, but I mean, here, here you get the major politicians talking about that as they're flying to wherever they're going on their private jets. 
you know, causing more carbon footprint than anyone else in the, in the world, you know, in the country, which, you know, break it down. United States is we have one of the lowest carbon footprints in the world. You know, China. We're the we're one of so under President Trump, we have actually reduced our carbon emissions year over year. We're one of the few countries that were part of the Paris Climate Accord that has actually gone down. Most of the other countries have gone up. So here we are. Yeah, but we're not part supposed- of that accord anymore, thanks no, to, thanks no, to but, the president. No, but that's the, the, the narrative you get is because we're not, we're evil, polluting assholes, when the truth is we've actually reduced it without going to the extremes that this plan and the Paris Accord calls for. Well, the, but par- anyway, the Paris Accord, a, a, I mean, that did nothing but cost cost money to the country. Well, it's just the whole Paris Accord, it, the whole climate scheme on a global level is just to milk the United States for money to pay for nice things in other countries. That's the gist of it, right, is to get the U.S. to foot the majority of the bill to do nothing. It is just to milk the American taxpayer for some, I mean, come on, how... George Carlin's uh, climate skit from the 90s is still one of the best, right? Because it's like, how arrogant are we to think that we can change the climate as a species? It's just silly. I'm going to segue this a little bit because there's something else I wanted to touch on was, you know, all these sports are finally coming back, right? But we also have this because, uh, I mean, I, sports are the first normal thing. It's why we're doing the fifth down, right? I'm so excited the NFL's back. I'm so excited college football's back. But the NBA, I lost interest as they got more political. And just the numbers this year from outkick.com, uh, the NBA finals are down 70% viewership from two years ago, which was the last time LeBron James was in the finals. If any, if all the stars align, nobody can go to the people want normalcy. Shouldn't those numbers be reversed? Shouldn't it be up seventy percent from two years ago? I mean, you would think it would be, but I mean, the NBA has been on a steady decline for a long time. Yeah, they, I don't. I don't think it's all political either. I, yeah, I don't believe that, that they need. To, they need to do something to, to rebrand and fix their product. Uh, yeah, I think it's a mix of product and politics that you know, really. I, I was a I was a season ticket holder for the Pelicans this past season, um, which was cut short by Corona. Um, but I mean, it's hard to watch some of these games. Um, you know, to be to be a good point guard in the NBA, you have to be an actor also. Hmm. You know, if you if you drive to the rim, you have to be able to make it look like someone touched you in a way that it affected you to where you can get free throws. I mean, that that's basically what a point guard does. You know, they drive to the basket so they can get get penalties so they can get free throws. So, I mean, it's I mean, it's it's hard to watch. I mean, I enjoyed the games. They're fun to go to. But um, watching on TV, which is all you got out the bubble, makes it even more difficult to do. Um, you know, and then on top with all the, the the PC, the political correct, the Black Lives Matter, which, you know, once again, I, I'm all for, um, you know, something something needs to be done to fix. But I think we're going about it the wrong way um, with with Black Lives Matter. But 
I really think that affected a lot of people in watching the finals and, and going into it, you know, the bubble, watching the whole bubble situation with the NBA. Yeah, and it's not – when you take a political stance, and I think sports does have a good role in politics because these guys are influential. These guys are able to bring attention to a cause. Like, you know, it's it's uh, the crucial catch in NFL right now is, you know, cancer month. It's really important that them using their platforms, it can be done for the right reasons and for good. And I think maybe they're there. You know, you and I both agree on this there. We do need to look at some aspects of what we do with law enforcement and can we make it better and how can we make it better? But you also have this extreme side that says we need to completely replace, we need to defund and dismantle police departments and replace them with something else. And that, to me, going that far is a turnoff to a lot of people. And when you as an athlete, especially LeBron James, who's arguably the most popular athlete ever, right? There's biggest Twitter following, biggest Instagram following, you know, one of the top in the world, if not. Here he is supporting an organization that wants to get rid of police departments when maybe that's not the best group to get behind. But if you want to be positive and change things, good. But when you're, how can I phrase this? When you get behind something so extreme and so radical that it, that it turns off most people, like getting rid of police is a very radical position because who do you – okay, you get rid of police. What happens when my house gets broken into and I call 911? Who comes? You know, who, who, who responds to a domestic violence call, which is the majority of police of, – of physical police reactions, of altercations come from people on drugs – and domestic abuse calls, domestic violence calls. The, the, funny, the funniest situation with that is um, I, I look at Alyssa Milano, who is a major proponent for defund police. Oh, that shit's hilarious. Um, you know, she, she, she wants police to be getting rid of. She believes that that's, that's what should happen. Um, but then she calls the police on a, a, a kid in the neighborhood because they had a BB gun. So, which is it? Are, do we get rid of police? Do you get rid or of police we, or you, you want to call them for BB guns? And I then, mean, like, this huge response uh, there. It's such hypocrisy from, from, from that side of it. Yeah. And, and you know, back to – sure, we can look at police use of force guidelines. We can, we can look at how they do it. You know, what, uh, what are their issues? Are there real racial disparities overall? You know, are there um, – can police be trained – Better, sure. What does that training look like? Not defunding the police if they need more training. And if anything, we need to increase funding because here in New Orleans, we have a major shortage of police because the pay 
isn't there, and it's becoming increasingly I mean, just just over difficult. The, just over the last four or five nights in New Orleans, the amount of shootings and, and, and violent crimes that have taken place in the city itself has, has gone up. So I mean, it's, well, I mean, that's everywhere since these uh, these protests and riots started. Violent crime is up double digit percentages over previous years. So it's not just that it's some, you know, random summer crime, normal summer crime increase. It's up, you know, 50, 60, 100 percent, 200 percent, I think, in, in NYC over this time last year. So the things that are going on right now in respect to, you know, the current the current uh, social justice protests and and defund the police movements, it's increasing crime. So where are you, LeBron James? We have over $2 billion, one insurer has estimated in, in insurance claims of damages from these riots. This isn't a Category 4 hurricane, which, by the way, $2 billion, it's one of the, if not the biggest insurance uh, disaster kind of deal ever, right? It's the largest amount of money ever paid out by insurance, all on riots and destruction of property by these these rioters who show up at these protests or however you want to, however you see it. But where are these NBA players speaking out against that? Where is LeBron James saying, hey, Stop this rioting now. You're hurting the cause. He's not, if he is talking about it, it's nowhere near as much as he tweets about the other stuff and get out the votes and all that. Where are you calling out the violence? Which this violence that's going on is turning most people off from what could be a legitimate conversation about police use of force. Am I wrong there? No, I mean, I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, like I said, I, I believe if, if police use of force is a problem then something definitely needs to be done about it, training, whatnot, whatever. I think we've had this conversation, you and I, a hundred times over and over again. Um, yes, something needs to be done. But like I said, the black don't lives, burn down a city, you know, black lives it's not matter, that hard. The, the protesting, well, the peaceful protests. I'm using finger quotes. You can't see it. But the, the peaceful protests that they, they have out there, um, which the media says, oh, mostly peaceful. Um, That's two qualifiers in front of a word that protest in its very nature. Protests are peaceful. Yeah, you know, when they say mostly peaceful, that means it was a violent, violent riot. My favorite um, is that is that a reporter saying these these protests have been mostly peaceful. And behind him is a burning Police like car. Fi- no, it's uh, it's actually a burning five-story government housing uh, complex that's just was being built and it's on fire or a burning. There's it's happened multiple times where there's a burning building right behind the person who says mostly peaceful protests. I'm like, can you at least come up with a better visual? I mean, things need to be done. Uh, there's no doubt things have to change. Um, not going to downplay that, but. The, the rioting has to stop. You know, it has to because we we can't move on. And I'm I mean, not going to listen to anybody 
who supported that that rioting. And and I refuse to to bow down and and. But get, you mean you know you know as well as I do that this is going to take place until November third. And and once the election passes, it's going to go back quiet. Uh, it depends on who wins. No, I mean, if I've, no, no, it will because it, even when Trump won the first time around, um, that's when all these had, riots started. That's no, when Antifa no, it started breaking. It didn't. Shit. We had the riots in in uh, St. Louis, you know, with, with Michael Brown and all that under under the Obama administration. That that's where all this began was under the Obama administration. People seem to forget that they think everything was Trump, 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 Trump. But this all began under the Obama administration. Black Lives Matter was founded under the the Obama administration. So then Trump comes into the office. We had our round of rioting because people were mad, you know, screaming at the air because, you know, Trump's the Antichrist. And we had three years of silence, you know, nothing, no, no major riots, nothing going on. And then all of a sudden here it is 2020, which already sucks because of everything else that's going on. In the world, us in Louisiana is facing our sixth hurricane coming at us, um, you know, si- second major hurricane of, of the year coming at us. Yeah. Um, you know, this one, everybody who knows what it's going to be when everybody under the Corona lockdown. But here we are having these violent protests and riots again because all this is a hot button topic for a political discussion. Right. So. It's it split right down political lines. I mean. So you're telling me for the last three years prior to this, we didn't have uh, use of force from the police. I mean, that that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah. Because we didn't have these. Like it all of a here. sudden started under Donald so, Trump. Right. So none of this took place before. And now all of a sudden that it's an election year. Here it is, your hot button topic. I mean, it, it's it's insane that people can't see through what the mainstream media is doing. They are definitely left leaning. There's no doubt about it. All facets of it. I mean, even Fox has become more left leaning uh, in the recent history. Just look at the last debate. Um, Chris Wallace, everything Chris Wallace said, every question he asked, baked into it was a Democrat leftist talking point that in many cases it wasn't correct. And, you know, I mean, they came out and they asked Trump to. This is uh, a Fox debate. This is, you know what else was it? I noticed this on the debate. And I realize, you know, I realized it just recently. I go back to watch some of it in the clips. This is Fox. There wasn't an American flag on that stage during a presidential debate, and it bothered me that it wasn't there. Maybe, maybe I'm just being weird, but I mean, why? Why isn't there an American flag behind presidential candidates? Well, because, I mean, a majority of the country has uh, now sees the American flag as a uh, as a as a hate signal. I don't think that's a majority I, of the country. I didn't say I mean, OK, majority is the wrong word. A, but there, a, there's a, there's a significant group, number, I would accept. You know, there, there's a group out there that believes that the American flag stands for hate. So they're not going to put it on the stage because that makes them look bad. I mean, during the debate, Wallace asked President Trump to uh, denounce white supremacy. Which he said, I will, I would. And he uh, has. You know, which group? And then they say the Proud Boys. So here's the problem with the Proud Boys being white supremacists. Um, I don't agree with the Proud Boys. You know, I mean, let them do them. Let them be them. Uh, Their founder is a person of color. 
you know. Uh, one of one of uh, Gavin McGinnis was the original guy who started, and he the whole reason he started it was because he and Milo Yiannopoulos were going giving talks, and this is Antifa decided to target them, and they would they attacked him. He was attacked by the Black Bloc and said, "You know what? If the cops aren't gonna," and this is this was the whole starting of the problem. If the cops aren't going to stop this violence, which they didn't, then somebody has to, right? And this is where it, it's it's an aspect of it was in self-defense. Because if these police and these campuses that they're going to speak in, campus, college campus is supposed to be the the bastion of free speech and and in competing ideas. But if these people aren't going to protect what what are you gonna? What are you expected to do as a citizen? Like uh, take the McCloskeys in 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 uh, Missouri. Right. I mean, they're being brought they're up being on charges. brought up on felony gun charges for defending their property. their property from people who were invading their property. People, there's a side camera view that shows that these people coming into their yard and threatening them. Well, not only that. I mean, them being in their neighborhood. Is a threat because it's a gated community. Yeah, and, and so and, they're and not supposed to be in a this gated isn't, community. This isn't a context of oh, some people, peaceful protesters walking down the street. No, this is a group of people who were going to the mayor's house, who violated their, their private street and their private property, who broke into a gated community, and their city, few uh, a couple of miles down the street, is on fire. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to be protective of my property if I see somebody being threatening. And if my city's on fire and it's the same people who are burning down my city, the same, you know, protesting group. Yeah. What they did was not wrong, but they're being charged. And none of the people who are, uh, I'm going to say, I say none, but maybe that's not our, but I mean, where, where are all these rioters being charged? Where are all these people who shot, who shot and hurt people and beat people up? And destroy people's uh, businesses. That's a small business. This is their income. This is their retirement. And it's now destroyed. But if you defend yourself from this mob, you're the one who's who's the villain. You're the one that's going to get charged. Screw that shit. And that's all baked into bringing it back to, to why the NBA's ratings are down. And I, I don't think these athletes... You know, they're very busy people, right? LeBron James is, is, he's got a million things he's doing every day. He's got practice, he's got game scripts, he's, you know, and then he's got his other commitments. And a lot of these athletes do do great work in the communities. You know, they do volunteer work and, and help in many different things. But he doesn't have the time to sit down and go through all these issues. But if he's going to speak on them, he should be a little more informed. And if it's if what's going on is leading to destruction of property and loss of life, he also has the responsibility to speak out against that and to and to try to bring calm to the situation. Anyway, last word, Kevin. I've said pretty much everything I can say about this without without getting back into it even more and more hardcore than we already are. That'll be it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, like, share, subscribe, and we're gonna be. We're going to be on iTunes and everything else, uh, all your favorite networks. <laughs>